This should be played at high volume. Live and local, this is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And guess what? We're your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And speaking of those Astros, They'll be starting up at 12.05, 11.35 pregame. Robert Ford and Sparks, Steve Sparks, that is, get you ready for game three of the four-game set against the Houston, against the New York Yankees, excuse me, over in the Bronx with Astro launch at 12.35. 11.35, excuse me, 12.05 is going to be the first pitch. Looking forward to that, but I'm also looking forward to seeing how this hour goes because I've got a lot to get to in a short period of time. But then again, that's always how it is on this program in hour number two. 10-15, we're going to have on Nick Suss. I'd say around at 10-15. Nick Suss of the Clarion Ledger going to be joining the program. We're going to talk some Ole Miss Rebels baseball because obviously you've got the College World Series final and the true underdog story continues onward. So we're going to talk to him about that and more at 10.15. Then at 10.30, we're going to talk some Auburn football with Lance Daw of the, uh, he is going to be a part of, he's the editor for the Auburn site on Sports Illustrated, also the host of Locked On Kentucky. We'll probably talk some Wildcats as well. Appreciate you listening in to the show. And this last week's got me feeling mighty nostalgic. It's got me feeling a lot of nostalgia. And it's all, I mean, the last few weeks I have. But I think this week I've been more nostalgic about Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I've been here for eight of the ten years it's existed. Started out as an intern here. Then eventually they somehow gave me my own show. Don't know how that happened. But it did. And it's like the last few days have got me thinking. And when I started putting together the show for this week, I wanted to have fun with this segment. Like I always do. And give you a top five. I'm not giving an ARV because honestly I could probably give every other show that didn't exist, that exists, put it in the ARV to be nice. But I want to just give the straight up top five. And again, it's just my personal opinion. Nobody else is here at Delta Media. And for the sake of argument, my show is nowhere near the top five. Even though I think my show is one of the best, I am taking myself out of the running. I am opting out of this conversation to where I'm not in my own top five. Because, again, that's a bit of an ego project, right? I can't give myself top-notch honors. Even even if I did, it wouldn't be true. I think there are a handful of shows that we've aired over the last ten years that belong in that top five. There's no doubt in my mind who number one is. The other four were kind of tough to kind of figure out where they rank and kind of going back into my mind and remembering memorable, memorable moments and all that stuff. 
So I had I had to kind of go into the mind frame of not a operations manager, not a host, not a production director, just straight up a sports talk fan and get into that mindset for this top five. Number five, I'll go nostalgia here. Number five is a nostalgic pick. I'm not going to lie. It's Horchak's Huddle. Jeff Horchak used to host a show back here. That was one of the first shows I ever produced here on Southwest Louisiana Sports Stage. We basically were about three, four feet apart from each other back when we were kind of building the big studio that we've got here now. It was always an honor to be hanging out with him. Always just the nicest guy, never in a bad mood. And the conversations and the content he had was phenomenal. I remember he would have Herm Edwards on as a pre-tape, and that was one of the most entertaining interviews I've ever heard. We'd have, I mean, that's how I got to like know Mike Neighbors, who we've had on the show several times, and and getting to know all these guys like Jacques Toussaint. There's a reason why I play Van Halen every time because I know he likes Van Halen because of Horchak's Huddle. There's a reason why he helped me realize how to play to certain guests and help make them feel at home. So in a sense, Horchak's Huddle developed me as a producer. He's number five on my list, and also just overall. He's my dude. Like, miss talking to him a lot, I'll be honest with you, but it's it's great to have him back in Lafayette, Louisiana, and he is number five on the list. And also, it was great to have a conversation with him during the pandemic about Mike Bowra and his legacy, all that stuff. But, yeah, number five, Horchak's Huddle. Number four, I'll go the current reigning morning show here, RP3 and Company. If you love great conversation about anything and everything, especially when it comes to some of the interviews he has, it's spectacular. Especially the last couple weeks leading up to the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. He has been bringing like S-tier content to the station. He had Jari Evans the other day. That was a great interview. All these guys, all these people he's been having on to kind of talk about the Sports Hall of Fame. The Super Bowl week interviews he has. Those are fantastic. He has Mike Dettelier on during football season. That alone is worth the price of admission of free 99. And also, he gets that fun talking about food and whatnot and all the other things going on in his life. It's that perfect variety. It's not morning zoo. It's the right level of like clean cut morning sports talk radio, but also like throwing in a little bit of fun. And that's what you need at the end of the day. That said, the other show that's above that, number three. It's the exact opposite. It's fun to listen to because you never know what's going to happen with Kevin Foote. He could lose his damn mind. And Footnotes is number three on the list by far. And why it's getting the silver medal or the bronze medal, excuse me, is because the other two are a little bit better. And again, just personal preference here. Foot on Friday definitely solidified number three and almost got to number two because the all-time opening segment about the Yankees-Astros game. That's why I love that man. He absolutely gets it, and more importantly, he's still a fan. And when you have a super fan and you see them lose, and he lives and dies pretty much off of those off of his teams. I saw it Wednesday over at B-Dubs, like in a mid-June clash with the New York Mets. He was probably damn near having a panic attack. 
like at certain points in the game. Like you could tell he was excited when the Astros won because he was able to relax and more importantly go enjoy some of the fantastic cake we had courtesy of Gambino's at Buffalo Wild Wings on Wednesday night. By the way, shout out to everybody for showing up at that event. It was a great time. Great to see Mr. Green, you know, Martin, all, Paul even with his New York Yankees transfer forms, which I just probably I wish I could have just been like it's treating it like a flyer. Here, you throw this away. That kind of thing. So and Kevin Foote just has that like you are drawn to him because of his never-ending amount of personality he has. Especially on a day when the Saints lose or the Astros lose, you know you are absolutely in for an all-timer of an opening segment. And it could carry on because people love to egg the cat on. And I'm surprised he hasn't had like an infarction on the air like to where he has to be taken to the hospital after. He is like, I, I've always just been amazed by that. But footnotes, it's a clear number three. Now we get to the top two. And if you want to call in and give yours and your favorite show in the history of the game's last 10 years, 337-706-0111. If you want to debate it, go ahead. We got a little bit of time before we get on Nick Suss at 1015. Number two, it's no doubter for me. It's the Alan Michaels show because it is the right amount of insanity and controlled chaos for me. Because I loved how like produced and everything that was that was put together meticulously, and it's a like akin to what I've wanted under the dome to be over the years. I've kind of sh- shifted away towards playing all the sound effects and making it just too over the top, but what. Alan Michael did with his show, all the segments he had, all the gimmicks he did, it made a two-hour show fly by, and it's a damn shame the show no longer exists, number one. And number two, it's a damn shame that show was never on simulcast because I guarantee you that thing would have been Pee Wee's Playhouse of sports radio and then some, and I think y'all would have loved it. Just my personal perspective on that, but by far that was one of my favorite shows to listen to as I'm making my way around town, and more importantly, making my way over here to Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Also, it was great to be able to fill in on occasion and produce for him, and even fill in as a host, which, again, I don't know why they continue to let me be a host. It's always kind of interesting how things go. But there is one show that stands head and shoulders above the rest. In my personal opinion, And I did have a big hand in this show, but the credit is due to 90% of the hosts, not only for the successes, but also the reason why it's number one on this list. I was the producer of this show from the time it started to the time it ended. Beginning to end, sunrise, sunset. But I gave credit, all of it, to the man that hosted that show, Bumper to Bumper Sports with Ben Love. That was hands down one of the most entertaining shows we had. Because it wasn't just about, you know, the stats, the facts, all that stuff. It was basically, and I said it to start off the show, it was treated like it was a barroom conversation. It was him talking about the topics of the day, but also getting the callers involved, getting other people 
and getting different perspectives. That's what made that's what makes sports talk radio. I'll be honest with you. Getting callers, getting them in, getting them connected and invested into your product on a day-to-day basis. And he had phenomenal guests. The content he was getting every single week, and especially with weekly benchmark guests, ranging from Ruffin Rodri, may, may he rest in peace, to Justin Vincent, Shay Dixon was hands down, I think every single person's favorite segment of the week, Sink or Swim, the old Who Wore Better, may that thing rest in peace. That That's a segment I helped create from another show but I think hands down in my mind number one with a bullet has been bumper to bumper sports the number one show that I personally loved on the game over the last 10 years there's some others that can be put in that conversation maybe 10 years from now but I'd like to think that this top five is pretty locked down by mind if I were to give an honorable mention I'd probably give honorable mentions to Unprompted with Louis Prejean. They used to host from 9 to 11 during this time slot on Saturdays. That was a really fun show. That was a really good show and a really fun lead-in for me as you headed into your sports Saturday. That was always fun to kind of follow Lewis. But we'll go out to the game hotline right now real quick, then we'll take a quick timeout, and let's get your opinion. 337-706-0111. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, CD, what's up, bro? Hey, T, what's happening, brother? Perfect time for you oh, to call in, partner. Uh, you knew I'd call in on that, <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, no, you got – that's a good five right there, but you surely got number one, right? Oh, there's no doubt in my mind. That was, like, the number one with a bullet. Like, right when I put together the list, I think – and, again, it's just my personal perspective because I was a part of that show. I was a huge part of that show, but I give all the credit – and the success to the host, all the failures drop on yours truly. Got you. But, uh, yeah, now, don't get me wrong. I love all the shows that are on there right now. Oh, it's, all it, of them. They're all you great. Know? They're all great. But I, I like uh, – I, I, I miss old Michael. <laughs> he, he was a good host also. My – Oh, Alan Michael. I was like, I was like, Alan Michael. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I was like, who's yeah. Michael? Because we used to have a caller no, named no, Michael. Alan Michael. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Oh no, Alan Michael was so crazy, brother. I know, full of energy. Oof, Lord. Let me tell you, he was a cup of coffee for sure. <laughs> I, I like. I wish I could just harness that energy and just like I could probably light up this whole studio with the energy oh. that he brought to the table every single week, every single day. Hell, definitely. Well, look, I enjoy your show as well, so keep up the good work, my man. We'll talk later. All right, T. And, you know, maybe maybe 10 years from now when I'm no longer here, I don't know if I'll be here in 10 years. You never know. It's the radio business. But 10 years from now, whoever's hosting this spot puts me over too, puts me in that top five. And hopefully we see another 10 years. I think we will. Now, what happens 10 years from now with this that old, what do you, where do you see yourself in five years? I think we're celebrating the 10 year anniversary of me asking that question. Where, where do we see ourselves in 10 years? And we're celebrating 10 years just this past Wednesday. I'm looking forward to seeing 10 more years of the station. Cause it's been growing and seeing it from where it was to where it is now. Now we're not just in Lafayette. We're in Lake Charles. It's an absolute honor and it's a privilege to be here with you every single Saturday, and it's wild to think that my show is one of the longest running. 
like Under the Dome started in 2019. It's 2022. And Jordy Holberg is the only show that's lasted long. That's a mind blow. But we're going to take a quick timeout. Going to have Nick's sus on for a few minutes. Talk about what's going on with the Ole Miss Rebels heading to the College World Series final later today. We'll be back after this right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And let me tell you, you need to join our rewards club like today because we got all kinds of great stuff available for you right now. You can sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com and get in on the action, including a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou or a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. Some fantastic restaurants. And we got so much more in the clubhouse. We keep adding in. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the game clubhouse. And it's free to do so. And more importantly, it's so simple. Yours truly can do it. So go sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And we'll flip it over talking some college baseball. Because the College World Series final begins tonight. And I think without a doubt, one of the best stories coming out of this tournament has to be the Ole Miss Rebels roller coaster season. But more importantly, they are officially one, two games away from becoming national champions. And to do that, we go over to the game hotline right now, talk with Nick Suss, the beat writer for the Ole Miss Rebels as part of the Clarion Ledger, which is part of the USA Today Network. Nick, how you doing, brother? I am sitting in a concrete hotel room, so I'm hoping the service is good, but I am thrilled to still be in Omaha. It's it's amazing. I can about imagine it's been fun being in Omaha, but whenever heading into Selection Monday, did you think that Ole Miss was, did enough work to get into the tournament? When I woke up on Selection Monday at about 7.30 or 8, whenever I rolled out of bed on Memorial Day, I did not think they were in the field of 64. Now, about 30 or 40 minutes later, I kind of saw the tea leaves and figured out they'd be in. But when I woke up that morning, I was ready for a June vacation. And it was a weird season. You look at the resume they had. I think they entered the postseason 36th in the RPI, 14 and 16 in league play, uh, seven or eight top 25 RPI wins. I mean, they had a resume that firmly put them on the bubble. It wasn't as if they were nowhere belonging near. You compare it to teams like an NCAA or a Rutgers or uh, some of the other teams that were on the bubble. Ole Miss seems to be on the outside. Heck, you could have compared it to 
Alabama, a team from the SEC that had a very similar resume and swept Ole Miss head-to-head. And you could have made these arguments, but Ole Miss got in on the virtue of probably two things. One, really, really talented team that the eye test kind of liked. And two, they at the right time, and when they were losing, they were always losing close. So it never felt like this team was that far out of it. You combine those factors together, not really a surprise that this team has gone on this stretch winning 16 out of 20 since May 1st. But, I mean, dude, I don't think anybody on Memorial Day was sitting there thinking, oh, they're two wins from a national championship. Oh, nobody. I mean, to me, even, like right when I saw Ole Miss come out and be one of those teams, those last four in, I'm like, there's no way they should have gotten in there. And now look at them. You're at that point, and we'll get to the college world. We'll preview that in a minute. But you look at everything, and you look at them getting into the tournament. How much do you think that series sweep against LSU had to do with the, the final decision, hit them kind of sneaking in by the skin of their teeth? And not just sweeping LSU, but sweeping LSU into last weekend of the regular season. That's yeah. really crucial because it's two weeks before that LSU series, Ole Miss was 7-14 and 14 in SEC play. They end 14 and 16. So you win seven in the last nine in the SEC, and your two losses are to Texas A&M, another team that ended up in Omaha. I mean, the committee sees that, and not to mention the other game they played in that 10-game stretch was a win at Southern Miss, who they eventually played again in the Super Regional. They played a really tough schedule down the stretch, and in one week beat Southern Miss at Hattiesburg and swept LSU in Baton Rouge, which they've never swept LSU in a three-game series in Baton Rouge before. That's the first time in program history. So you look at you look at what happened, or at least modern era program history, stuff before World War II gets kind of fuzzy. But it's it's interesting. It's really, really interesting what they were able to do uh, down the stretch. And I think that going to Baton Rouge and beating LSU and then LSU sweeping Vanderbilt really, really helped them because the dominoes kind of made it look like this is a team that can beat really good teams. And then that was proven correct. Talk out now with Nick Suss, part of the Clarion Ledger, the beat writer for the Ole Miss Rebels. And now, obviously, you make that run to the postseason. And more importantly, you overcome Arkansas, who rallied back late on Wednesday night and were able to kind of force that final game, that, that basically winner-go-home, that loser-leaves-town type feel on Thursday. Ole Miss overcomes all odds and is now basically trying to finish this true underdog story that's only missing really White Goodman in the mix for this three-game set against the Oklahoma Sooners, who pretty much were sitting pretty in the catbird seat for a couple extra days, and now you head into the series. What are your expectations, and who kind of where does this team kind of go now that your ace is not going to be a part of the action this weekend? Yeah, and I'm not ready to confirm or deny that either because there's a chance knowing his rubber arm and his competitive edge that he might try and come back and throw a few innings on game three. But, yeah, so the plan is tonight they're going to start Jack Doherty, who was started the year as kind of like their fireman relief stopper, was good enough at it that he got moved into the rotation for three or four weeks in March, uh, hasn't started the game since March 29th after the Tennessee series when kind of everything for this team changed. Uh, but he's been really hot as of late. Right-hander throws a lot of strikes, strikes out a lot of batters. He has an earned run in in 12 innings dating back to April 29th. So he's been very effective. We'll see just how long he can go against an Oklahoma lineup that's 
I mean, I like to tell people if you hit 300, if you get on base 400, or if you slug 500, you're a pretty good player. Oklahoma's doing that as a team for postseason, hitting the crap out of the ball. So look what Oklahoma's doing. Doherty's going to have a challenge, and luckily behind him, Ole Miss's bullpen has been really, really effective in the postseason. The collective bullpen since the SEC tournament has only allowed two earned runs, and it was a two-run homer and a 13-5 to win over Arkansas. I mean, they have not allowed a leverage run from the bullpen all season, or all postseason, and that sort of thing is truly remarkable. So you look at what they've been able to do, have that set up, and then you go to game two when Hunter Elliott, who's your second ace, who has a 0-9-6 ERA and three postseason starts, is coming up behind him. So it's going to be interesting to see how their pitching handles it. Uh, Doherty really isn't the guy you want throwing game one, but for your listeners down there who remember 2017, this isn't the same thing as Russell Reynolds throwing game one. Jack Doherty is somebody who does have that experience, who has pitched really well down the stretch. So he's a he's an option that it works out. It wouldn't be too much of it. Got a couple more here for Nick Suss, part of the Clarion Ledger, Ole Miss beat writer. And, you know, one of the things that I was hearing a lot about heading into that Ole Miss LSU series was him potentially being on the hot seat. Is it safe to say that hot seat conversation is being tabled for a good while? And if this team wins the, this best of three series, could that hot seat conversation kind of be shut down for a good while? If Ole Miss wins this series, we're going to stop talking about the hot seat and start talking about what the name of the stadium is. I mean, let's be realistic. <laughs> Ole Miss has never won an officially sanctioned NCAA men's championship in any sport. They have some football championships, but as we all know, football championships weren't officially NCAA sanctioned until a couple of years ago. So winning this baseball series when this is a city and a program and a university that really loves baseball. I mean, they're top three in the country and um, revenue and resources given to baseball, budget for baseball, they pay Bianco a lot, they pay the uh, the staff a lot, always top three in attendance, were number one in attendance during the COVID year, which is something remarkable to happen. I mean, people care about baseball, and if you bring a national championship back, it's impossible to give someone a lifetime contract in Mississippi because of the way state law is written. You can only have a contract four years at a time, but I think it would feel pretty safe to say that Mike Bianco would get to choose when he would leave Ole Miss if he were to win a national championship. And I got one more for you. We're doing something all throughout the summer, kind of getting an idea of what like different football programs across the SEC are and how they're doing. What are you seeing from Ole Miss? I know you're more focused on baseball, but what you've seen in you know spring training and, and, and the spring game, what are overall observations you have about Ole Miss heading into the fall season? It's year three, year four of telling people this about Lane Kiffin, but – he loves to run the ball, and nobody seems to notice that. Everybody thinks of his quarterbacks. Everybody thinks of the spread. Ole Miss has led the SEC in rushing each of the last two seasons, and there's a really good chance they'll do that again this year. Zach Evans and Ulysses Bentley, the two transfer running backs, look really good. The offensive line 
returns four starters, and the fifth guy they bring in is a grad transfer from Western Kentucky who was first-team All-Conference USA last year. They've got a really good setup to run the ball well. Zach Evans from TCU is a superstar, a former five-star running back. He averaged more than seven yards per carry each of the last two seasons. Ulysses Bentley was a first-team All-AAC running back at SMU two years ago, kind of fell down the depth chart a little bit for reasons I don't understand this year, but watching him in practice, he is twitchy. He is really, really good. You, you build an offense around those two guys. They still have to decide between Luke Altmeyer and Jack Dart at quarterback, and I think that's going to be a competition well into fall camp. But offensively, they're going to be built around the run. Defensively, a lot to replace. you got to replace your leading tackler, your leading sacker, your leading uh, tackles for loss guy, just about everything up front. The front seven is going to have to be revitalized, and there are a ton of transfers there that are going to help that realization process, but I've kind of yet to see who the hip-top guys who are going to step up in the front seven are. I really like the secondary, what it has returning, and, and the transfers they brought in, A.J. Finley, Otis Reese, Aishim Young, Ladarius Tennyson makes up perhaps the deepest safety room in the SEC, and then you bring back cornerbacks like Taishim Johnson and um, DeAndre Prince and Miles Battle and some of these guys, Trey Washington. I, I think they're going to be pretty okay in the secondary, but if this team one major question mark, it'll be who ends up stepping up in the front seven. Nick, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and, more importantly, the rest of your time in Omaha. I will, buddy. Thanks for having me on. All right, Nick Suss. You can follow him on Twitter. Just that simple. Nick Suss. That's with two S's at the end of that, not Suss like I'm, uh, some, some kids like to say after playing some Among Us. Going to go ahead and take a quick time out, maybe slap myself in the face for bringing up Among Us on the show in 2022, but we'll get to that. Going to bring on Lance Daw after this right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Most sports talk shows turn it up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome is far from your ordinary sports talk show. It takes it just one step higher. These guys are laughing. Now back to the show that gets the lead out. Under the Dome with CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Live yet and 104.1 The Lake Charles. And not too long after this show wraps up, Rescue Fest, that's R-E-S-C-Y-O-U, is going down today at Park International. It's a day filled with live music, and it also features some great artists from across the Acadian area, including the Sarah Russo Band, Jet 7, Layla Laverne, Hunter Corville, and Cam Nelson. There will also be plenty of food, games, and even a raffle. Rescue Fest is a fundraiser for the Rescue Group. That's R-E-S-C-Y-O-U. Hold on. Okay. So their group that provides financial and emotional assistance to grieving families of child loss. To buy tickets, go to eventbrite.com or by visiting rescue group that's r e s c y o u group.org 
Appreciate you listening into the program. We're going to go ahead and we talk some Ole Miss baseball because obviously they're in the College World Series final. And one team that did take part in the festivities out in Omaha was the Auburn Tigers, but we're going to kind of flip it more towards the football side of things. Get some baseball right out the gate, though. And we'll talk about that with our good friend Lance Daw, part of Auburn Daily, which is house within the Sports Illustrated Network. Appreciate him joining the program. Lance, how you doing, brother? Doing good, man. How about you? I'm doing good, doing good. First things first, let's get to some Auburn baseball and kind of a postmortem on their season. What were your overall thoughts on how this team did and, more importantly, getting to the promised land of Omaha? Well, first things first, I think a team that was picked to finish last in their own division, just anything past that or just anything – period above the postseason would have been absolutely phenomenal right but for them to be able to get out of their own regional which i thought initially was going to be really really tough with ucla and florida state in there to get to corvallis beat oregon state and then to go and to get to the college world series get their first win in a really really long time i think it speaks volumes to the coaching staff's ability to kind of get talent together and be able to collect and build an actual team last season I was really concerned about Butch Thompson and, and long-term what he was going to be able to do with the program, but for him to be able to bring in a couple of transfers, bring in Sonny Deshera, get the bats hot again was really, really promising. Now, obviously, the bats went really, really cold there late in Omaha, and it was really disappointing to see, but just getting there after being counted out uh, the entire preseason was really, really awesome to see. Love the heart that the team showed and really love that they turned it on in the postseason specifically on their own regional, whenever they really needed to. It was great to see that team. And like you said, the fact you managed to kind of exceed expectations, mind you, I think the bar was kind of low for Auburn baseball. But to get to Omaha, that was a great step in the right direction for that baseball program. Now let's get over to the football program. And one of the big things last year was a lot of debate about the quarterback battle going back and forth, kind of jump around with T.J. Finley, a former LSU Tiger. He looked good at certain points in the season, but there was still no clear front runner by the time the season ended. Has that quarterback picture gotten any clearer after spring practice in the spring game? I'm going to be honest with you, Clint. I don't really know if this coaching staff knows who their starting quarterback is going to be heading into the fall. Now, there have been some mumblings about Zach Calzada this offseason. There's been some mumblings about how he is now starting to get healthy again, and he is putting in a lot of work and effort to kind of get back to where he needs to be. Uh, I've heard from different people that he might be the front runner to win the job, but again, absolutely nothing has been determined yet. Uh, and you've seen just thrown out into the media sphere saying, like, oh, well, Zach Calzada is probably going to be the presumed starter. Like, oh, he's probably going to eventually take the job. While we are hearing things positively in Calzada's corner this offseason, I do still want to remind everybody, you know, Robbie Ashford had a really solid spring for a kid that had only been working in the system for maybe a month and a half. I really, really like his upside, especially as an athlete on top of that, not just a quarterback. And then, like you mentioned, T.J. Finley, there were moments last season where you saw progression from Finley. But then there were moments throughout last season where you just scratch your head and you just go, where was the accuracy on that throw? Specifically, look in the Birmingham Bowl. There were several opportunities for Auburn to take advantage of things and potentially put points on the board. 
and T.J. Finley was just was not able to execute. He's been working on his accuracy this spring. It's something that he's going to continue to work on throughout summer. Heading into fall camp, though, I, I would say no. I don't think that there has been a lot of separation between these three quarterbacks. Obviously, the narrative right now is Zach Calzada probably going to be the front runner if he's continuing to stay healthy. I'm intrigued to see what Harson does to cut down this room heading into the fall because that's something he said early on in the spring is, look, we're not going to even cut it down until we get into fall camp. So I'm curious to see who the two guys that are truly competing for this job are midway through fall camp. Right now, I think a lot of people would lean Zach Calzada. I would lean his way as well. When you look at Auburn's quarterback room as a whole, though, I'm not intrigued with their ceiling more than their floor. I think all three of these guys have a relatively high floor, but they have a relatively low ceiling. And so at least it looks like that to me on paper. So I'm excited to see what Auburn's got in the quarterback position. They've had under Bo Nix moments where it's just been kind of a roller coaster. It's been up. It's been really, really, really bad. It's been really good. I'm interested to see what Auburn looks like whenever they have a quarterback room that is somewhat stable when it comes to their floor. And looking at just Auburn as a whole, because obviously that's the biggest thing everybody's focused in on, and obviously it's the most important position in football, the quarterback. But what other position battles are you looking forward to seeing, be on the offense or defensive side? I'm really, really intrigued to see what happens in the linebacker room. Owen Papo is the returning guy there, former five-star, has been dealing with his in- with injuries his entire season. He's going to get the nod at inside linebacker, I believe, for the Tigers, a senior there. But there are several guys around him that will be battling for that second inside linebacker spot. Wesley Steiner, a junior, hasn't had a whole lot of playing time up until this point. Cam Riley is an absolute beast, six foot five linebacker. He's a junior as well. And then Auburn pulled in a North Carolina transfer, Eugene Asante. I don't know if he's the front runner to start in this group, but I feel like when you look at this room in terms of experience, he would be the second best guy to throw out there if the Tigers need him. So right now there's a lot of promise with these guys and Wesley Steiner, Cam Riley, Eugene Asante. I've heard a lot of really good things about them, but they're all battling things out behind Owen Papo. And the reason that I talk about the linebacker room is because of how important it's been to Auburn these past couple of seasons. Last year, Auburn's top two tacklers, Zacobin McLean and Chandler Wooten, both had over 90 tackles apiece. Both of those guys are going to be relatively difficult to replace. And when you look at Auburn's linebacker room, not excited about the, the experience, but the upside certainly there. So watching those three guys battle it out while Owen Papo kind of takes the reins in that room is something that's going to intrigue me. Talk right now with Lance Dahl, a part of Auburn Daily. He's the editor for that that publication. And you talk about Brian Harson heading into his second year. I think obviously last year didn't necessarily happen fall the way they wanted it to, six and seven. Three and five in SEC play and tied for sixth in a very in a much improved SEC West at least from the top perspective. But when you look at that, what's the expectation for this team in 2022? I would like to say that the expectation is eight wins, but unfortunately, when you look at Auburn's schedule, I don't know if there are eight wins to be had. For this team here in Auburn, I think a lot of people are really, really nervous. I think a lot of people are worried. There is a small group that is still very optimistic, 
but, it, but again, you look at this schedule and you have to go to Georgia, to Ole Miss, to Alabama, to Mississippi State, a team that you struggled with last year and blew a 28-3 to lead to. And then you've still got to play teams like Penn State and Arkansas as well. So until you can get that quarterback battle really figured out, I'm not comfortable with, with, with really kind of pegging a specific expectation. And I hate to kind of fence ride and say, well, I don't really know until I see the quarterbacks. But I really think it is that simple. Until we see Auburn play Mercer, San Jose State, and Penn State, and we see who the starting quarterback is going forward, I don't think we can really truly get a grasp on what expectations should be for this team. Preseason, though, I think that you can kind of speculate 7-5, and 8-4. and four. I know that there are some publications out there that believe Auburn's going to go 6-6. Six and six. And, I, and I just – the homer in me doesn't want to believe it. But when you look at the numbers last year, I wrote an article recently on Auburn Daily – uh, there was there was a math formula thrown out uh, by an Auburn beat writer. I think I believe it was called the Pythagorean expectation. It's essentially the Pythagorean theorem, the mathematical equation. Except what it did was calculate what your expected win should be. And when you run the numbers on Auburn last season, they should have been an eight or nine win team. They bring back uh, a pretty good chunk of their production last season. I think the quarterback room, like I mentioned earlier, has a higher floor. Probably going to be more consistent. I think this team could go out and surprise some people. So when you look at what everybody's saying, I think that it ranges from six wins to, I would say, potentially nine wins for the Tigers this season if they can really figure figure things out at the quarterback spot. So expectations are kind of all over the place. But just to kind of average things out, I would say maybe seven and five, eight and four is probably what most people are thinking. And if that happens, you know, again, we look at the way Auburn's been over the last several years, especially towards the tail end of the Gus Malzahn era, where it was like one year this team would beat Alabama in the in the Iron Bowl and and be able to make a run and be able to have a really good season. But two straight years of like falling below a certain mark, how much of that could wind up leading to more pressure to win now for a Brian Harson? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think there's pressure there. I mean, when you have back-to-back six-win seasons, it's really not gonna gonna leave the athletic department or the boosters who are who are apparently heavily involved in the program. It's not gonna leave them uh, in a state of comfort comfortability. So I, I think that Auburn has to really go out there and put out a decent product this season. And if they don't put out a decent product, they've got to do something like beat a Georgia, like beat an Alabama maybe beat Texas A&M in November. They've got to be able to pull off one of these big-time upsets if they're going to go 7-5. and five. I, I think that Auburn has to go out there. They have to overachieve in one game if they're going to just kind of hit expectations they're right at seven wins. So absolutely, I think you're right. I think there is more added pressure. You have a couple of years in a row where you're just kind of mediocre. You've got to be able to step things up, and it's a really, really tough ask. Again, it's a very, very tough ask considering the schedule that Auburn plays, but it's reality. So Auburn's got to be able to step up to the plate, and they've got to be able to deliver. And if they can't, I am sure that there's going to be a lot of pressure on Brian Harson uh, once again this upcoming offseason. Lance, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, brother. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, man. All right, Lance Daw. You can follow him on Twitter. That's Lance Daw, D-A-W-E underscore over on the Twitter sphere. We'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. One final take, and we're going to the NFL to wrap up the show. Mainly one Robert Gronkowski. We'll talk about that and more next 
right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. Before we close up shop here on Under the Dome, CD has just one more take to fire off before he drops the mic. Is it going to be a take that lands on the Scoville scale? Or is it going to be as cold as the pizza in your fridge? Let's listen in and find out. Are we really saying goodbye to Rob Gronkowski? I don't necessarily. I've been debating this all week. Like since the announcement came out that he was going to go ahead and hang up his cleats for the second time. And the more you hear some of this rampant speculation and rumor and innuendo, maybe he's not necessarily done yet. He's probably doing this to work the marks. Number one and number two to go ahead and just sit out training camp and all that stuff and show up in time for week one. That's what it feels like to a lot of people, but honestly, I'm in disagreement with that statement because why would you do that? Like, go ahead and just not show up till week one. Like, just just do this just to avoid training camp. Rob Gronkowski has earned his time in the sun and more importantly has earned his time to go ahead and hang up, hang up his cleats and move on. I'll never understand why the hell that is a thing in 2022, that the Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski conspiracy theory. Hell, I was talking to Mr. Jamie. He was over at the 10th birthday bash, and I never in my life quite understood what the hell was going on with that story because I was like, why are we talking about this? Why are we going in this direction? Why are we going with this? Why am I saying in 2022 that the man that's running this thing is... I'm still laughing about the fact that that's been a theory and something that's been posited out is that Rob Gronkowski is just doing this to avoid training camp. I think he's done, and Mr. Jamie was talking about it with me off air, was the fact that Maybe he's trying to do a WWE career. I don't think that's going to happen either because he tried that and he didn't want to do any of the bumps. Appreciate everybody for listening in to the program. We'll be back with you next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. I got one guest booked for next week, and that's Daniel Gotro. Going to talk with him about the LHSAA and, more importantly, signing up to be an official for high school football. Until then, peace.